banks, we all have to use them, and they're expected to announce an eye-watering profit for the last 12 months that's likely to top 10 billion dollars combined. 10 billion. Kia ora, I'm Sharon Brett Kelly, and yes, you heard it. Annual bank profits are set to crack 10 billion dollars for the first time, and a lot of it goes to the big four Aussie-owned banks, BNZ, Westpac, ASB, and ANZ. And with interest rates rising, homeowners will have to pay more for their loans, swelling these profits. Pretty clearly on a rising trajectory. Banks in New Zealand, particularly the big four, make a lot more money on a what's called return on equity basis. Banks and energy companies, they're being driven by global by those global changes in interest rates. They're big entities. They should be making a lot of money because they've got very big balance sheets. Yeah, they're, they're very well run. Today on The Detail, I'm throwing questions at two banking experts about the profits and the power of the big four banks in New Zealand, which together have 85% of the market in bank lending. Here's one fact to show how mighty they are. So the New Zealand Stock Exchange in 2022, the 180-odd companies on it, have $165 billion of assets. The New Zealand banking sector has $608 billion. This is KPMG Head of Banking, John Kensington. For about two decades, he's been watching the bank's profits grow and grow. The New Zealand banking sector is roughly four times the size of the stock exchange. So the sector's a massive beast. Do you see the same thing happening every year? I think if you stood back and looked at a graph that covered, say, 20 years, you'd see quite a distinctive trend. You'd see the size of those banks the size of the books that they have, so that's people lending to them and then the money they lend out to others as loans, growing quite significantly. Uh, There'd be years where they grew more slowly or even years where they went down, the beginning of the GFC and the beginning of of, of the COVID pandemic. But if you took a, a wider lens, you'd see the banks over time have gotten bigger, much bigger. And in particular, the Australian-owned banks? Yes, yes, particularly the Australian-owned banks, but you see it in them because they're the biggest. But the other one that's grown spectacularly, and you do have to look at this, is, is Kiwi Bank. In New Zealand, before Kiwi Bank, there were really two phenomenons in terms of banks. It was the big Aussie banks, who would have around the time just before Kiwi Bank had balance sheets around the 50 or $60 billion worth of assets each. And there were the smaller banks, uh, like TSB, and some American and uh, UK banks that were in here that were smaller operating in a niche, and some Asian banks like Hong Kong Bank and Citibank, for example. And Kiwi Bank came in, it's the only bank that's come in and grown through and sort of sits in the middle between them. Do they sort of grow as the economy grows? They grow as the banks grow. So if you think about a bank, and this is the thing banks do incredibly well, they go offshore and they go to the local market and they get money from people and they accumulate it from one group of people, and they lend it out to another. And that is what they've done very well. And as the size of the bank grows, and the bank gets bigger and bigger, that profit gets even bigger and bigger. And a few things have driven that. And the main one has been New Zealanders' love affair with property, whether it be their home, their rental property, or their batch, or their workplace. New Zealanders have a disproportionately high property portfolio. So if we want to do something like that, we have to borrow. And effectively, the banks have been the conduit. They've borrowed from offshore, they've borrowed from New Zealanders to lend to other New Zealanders to do this. The growth in profit has really been driven by the size of the bank growing. And look, we had a little bit of a boom up to the GFC in 2008-9 internationally and here in 2010-11. And once we got through that, 
New Zealand up until COVID had an astonishing period of time where there was economic growth and people were buoyant, people were confident and so they bought property and more property and that was what saw the banks grow. Then this happened. Now is the time to act. That's why Cabinet met today and agreed that effective immediately we will move to alert level three nationwide. After 48 hours, the time required to ensure essential services are in place, we will move to level four. One day we're, um, we're operating with all our borders open and people are a little bit worried about what COVID might do. The next day uh, the borders are closed. These decisions will place the most significant restrictions on New Zealanders' movements in modern history. And the banks were absolutely petrified at the level of potential losses they could have because the borders were closed and people couldn't later on couldn't even go to work. And, and so they rightly looked at the level of provisioning that was required and concluded that actually, wow, given given things have changed so much, you know, people can't go to work, borders are closed, we need to a lot of people aren't gonna be able to repay us hospitality. All bars, restaurants, cafes, cinemas, Uh, Accommodation and and, and tourism-related businesses, inbound education. Any other place where the public congregate must close their face-to-face function. So they looked at their loan book prior to Christmas, for example, before we even knew about COVID, really, and said, oh, it's pretty good. Everybody's paying on time. Uh, Wages are going up. Interest rates are quite low. And then they looked at it at the end of March after we'd been locked down and said, oh, my gosh, you know, there's a whole chunk of my... Loan book, you haven't been to work for a month because they're locked out. And so they then said, well, is it possible that there could be losses? And they said, yes, so we better provide for those losses. But then the government came along and said, we need to give people support payments. The wage subsidy comes to mind as the first one. We want to help boost cash flow and confidence in the economy through this uncertain period. It is why we are establishing a wage subsidy scheme. And the government pumped an enormous amount of money into the economy. And I think it'd be fair to say no one really knew the government would put that much in. And I don't think the government realised the enormously positive impact. So, so COVID, I guess, threw up a dark cloud, but then the dark clouds never eventuated because of the level of government support. So a whole lot of people would have been encouraged into borrowing for their first home or another rental property or whatever because we'd never seen rates like that. We now have to get them back up somehow, but, boy, that's going to cause some pain for everybody. Pain for everybody except, it seems, the banks. Remember, their profits are set to top around $10 billion, most of it going to the big four. If it's any consolation, not all of it goes back to Australia. Here's Claire Matthews, Associate Professor at Massey University Business School. A large proportion of their operating expenses will be spent in New Zealand and they've embraced technology and so there's a lot of stuff that's done digitally. They still employ large workforces of human staff whom they have to pay. And if we have a look at the disclosure statement from ANZ, for example, in the six months ended 31st of March 2022, they had half a billion of expenses associated with personnel. And BNZ in the financial year to 30th of September 2021 had another $600 million. And then they've got rent for premises and things like that, most of which will be owned uh, by New Zealand. They will be paying for technology and they'll be paying for other services, again, mostly in New Zealand, but not exclusively. And then they end up with their profit um, before tax. And then the government 
because they're profitable, takes 28% of it. Some goes back to shareholders, which is the parent in Australia, as a dividend, who then pay dividend to the ultimate shareholders. And many of those are New Zealanders holding shares in their own rights or New Zealand KiwiSaver schemes. But then the rest of that profit at the moment is getting a good chunk of it's getting put into capital as they have to hold more capital. But it is used for things like developing more products, phone banking, internet banking, developing systems to make sure they can report to the Reserve Bank. And all of the banks you know, have a community role, chari- charitable type involvement. And increasingly, they are getting more interested in helping New Zealanders become financially literate. Margins. So... <laughs> yep. You wouldn't be doing your job if you didn't raise this question. Yeah, okay. I know. Yep. Do their margins increase as interest rates go up? I think the answer to that is yes. So look, if they're borrowing from the market at one and a half or two percent and lending at four, there's a clear two percent margin and margin makes up half of the total. If and I think back to when we first my wife and I first got a mortgage, we're paying twenty seven and a half percent. In those dates the banks were probably borrowing at twenty three or twenty four and we were probably paying a 3 or 4% margin. And I think as rates go up, the banks do have that ability to build in a bit more margin because it's a much smaller component of the total amount paid. So, yes, I, I, think, I think if you look back over time, you, 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 you'd see evidence of that. Now, bear in mind, though, we do still have quite a competitive banking market. So if I'm borrowing it at, at, say, 10 and trying to lend to you at 17, and every other bank's borrowing at 10 and lending you at 12.5, say a 2% margin, I'm not going to write any business until I get back within the pack. I have also heard the argument that we need our banks to be profitable so that our money is safe. Is that a reasonable argument? Oh, absolutely, and that's the argument I would very much adhere to. There is an an extent to which they can make too much money, and I accept that as well. But the reality is that we want our banks to be making money because the alternative is, if they're not making money, that they're losing money. And if they're losing money, it's the customers who potentially are at risk in terms of losing the, the funds that they've got on deposit. Because it's so long since banks haven't done well, we've kind of forgotten that that can happen. It's, it's really back to the late 80s, early 90s. So you're talking a whole generation of people, essentially, that don't really realise that banks can lose money and that we can have major problems. Argentina is a sort of a real extreme example of that, isn't it? Because, like, the, the economy absolutely crashed and the banks, the banks crashed along with it. In 2002, after a three-year-long recession... Argentina ended a decade-long peg to the US dollar. Bank deposits indexed to dollars lost more than 70% of their value, wiping out people's savings almost overnight. People lost all their savings, and now uh, people are so afraid to put their money in banks that they keep it under their mattresses. That's why the Reserve Bank puts a lot of effort into ensuring that our banks are safe and that the money that people put on deposit with the banks is protected because they don't want to have people losing their money because it does create a lot of uncertainty. Um, It creates a lot of problems for the economy if you start putting your money under the mattress because, well, I mean, you've got the risk of burglary, obviously, but also it makes it a lot harder for the economy to operate because if the banks don't have the money, they can't lend it out and our other businesses don't have the ability to access funds so that they can expand and and build the economy. When are the profits too much? I mean, 10 billion, is that too much? So I'm I'm not going to answer that question directly because it's 
it's not one that there can be a specific answer to. What we have to remember is that the banks keep growing. And so if you have a business that keeps growing, then the profits will continue to grow if they're making it at this, on a proportional basis at the same level. So while our banks continue to grow, then they're going to have greater profits in dollar terms. And we do tend to focus on the dollar term profitability. And there probably is a point, but how you measure what that point is, how you determine that, um, if next year all the banks made substantial losses, then we'd be saying, well, actually, they needed that $10 billion, so we don't have a problem with it. It's an answerable question, but whenever someone answers it for you and says, oh, bank profits are too much, they're probably more socialist leaning. If someone says, oh, bank profits are adequate or could even be a bit higher, they'll have a more capitalist leaning, I think. <laughs> they could even be a bit higher? Who, who would, uh, a shareholder would say I, that? I, I'll, I'll give you a really good example, actually, uh, who would like them higher. So if, if one of the, the large banks here in New Zealand decided to exit the country, now uh, mum and dad investors just would simply not have enough capital to buy all the shares if that was listed on the stock exchange. They, these, these entities are so big. So they would need to find a trade buyer, and there'd be two types of trade buyer. That would be another bank somewhere else globally in the world, and that would have to be quite a large bank to take over one of the New Zealand subsidiaries from the Australian parent. Or the other source might be what you would call a private equity house who was used to that, and they would want a very big return. Look, I think that the returns, if you took the scale of a very low, no-return, regulated-down environment, to a, the high end, the banks are probably somewhere up around the 75th percent point. They are, they are good returns, but there is a lot of risk involved in it. Is there really, John? Because, OK, you've said that around the GFC yep. that they lost out and then the start of COVID that yep. they lost out. But over the other years, they're booming, aren't they? I mean, how yep. much risk is there really? Well, Yes, they're booming, and they're booming because New Zealanders are going, well, I've got one house, I'll buy a rental property. They borrow 80%, and it's going to take them 40 years to get that repaid. And the bank stands there in the middle and takes that risk. Now, if things go along nicely, it's fine. But if there is a global collapse caused by Russia attacking a second country and interest rates go through the roof, those banks are carrying incredible risk. So they're not just managing for the risks that, they, that we have right now, they will be comfortable if interest rates go up a little bit. If interest rates were to go up 2 or 3 more percent, then the banks would be facing a lot of risk. And that means that there's more potential for people being unable to repay their mortgages, which turns into bad debt for the bank. Is that how it works? That, that's exactly how it works. And, and look, what you've got to look at is the question now is, is as things continue to increase, will interest rates increase faster than people's I guess, weekly or fortnightly pay packet, and that's going to be the challenge. But do they have to make such a huge profit? Is that right? Is that fair? That depends on the perspective you come from. So if you are someone with a more socialistic approach to life, you will say, hang on a minute, they've made enough profit to pay all their staff, all their suppliers, and the return they are giving to their investors, that the investors need to get a return is too high, so it should be regulated down somehow. Then you run into the problems if you start regulating the banks and, and, and saying how much profit they can earn, you run the risk of the current market participants going, well, actually, I don't like that. It doesn't happen to me in any other country. I'll, I'll leave, and then we don't have enough banks. At the other end of the scale, people will say, well, this is a very risky business. 
So the return needs to be not just good, it needs to recognise that risk. We could have people default and not repay us. And also banks are challenged by a lot of regulation. They do a lot of reporting to the Reserve Bank. They have to get that information right. And customers also drive some of the demands because they want faster access to more products. So the profits do look big, but there's more than enough demand on the profits. Do the Australian banks have too much power in New Zealand? They have a very big market share. And by market share, you can't escape the fact that that they are quite dominant and they do um, sort of set the tone for the market. Do they have too much power? I I don't think they do because I think if they did and or were misusing it, you'd see the regulators climbing into them and stopping doing things more than they are. That's not to say they don't bump up against the regulator occasionally, and that's probably the sign of some quite healthy tension. Um, You know, uh, if you go back two years, the Reserve Bank said, hey, you guys, you need to carry more capital. And they protested and, and, and submitted through the appropriate channels that, no, we don't. Well, the Reserve Bank stood its ground and they've been made to carry and in the process now of getting that extra capital on board over a three- to four-year period. That's a good example of the healthy tension. And, and so that probably indicates that they have a large market share and with it some power and strength, but they're probably not using it inappropriately, I think is how I'd characterise it. What about the argument that it would be much better if we all banked with Kiwi Bank so that those a lot of those profits would stay in New Zealand? Well, fundamentally, Kiwi Bank has to provide, be able to provide the services that people want and to provide the products that people want and to provide the experience that people want. Obviously, this isn't important to a lot of New Zealanders because otherwise we'd already be doing that. Um, and in reality, there would actually have to be quite a bit of expenditure by Kiwi Bank if we suddenly all started banking with them because they're set up to cope with the level of banking you know, business that they've got. And I'm sure they could cope with a bit more. But if we suddenly had a huge amount of extra banking being done with Kiwi Bank, then they would need additional resources. But also, they are primarily dealing with personal customers they're doing some small business, but they're not really dealing with the corporates. And what corporates require, um, both in terms of services from people, but also in terms of the technological support that they need, it's unlikely that Kiwi Bank could provide. So again, if they were going to provide those sorts of services, which does tend to be quite a substantial portion of the profitability, then the Kiwi Bank would again need to be putting in um, resources to do that. And actually, if we all had If we only had one bank in New Zealand and we all banked with that one bank, there's actually a substantial risk because if they actually make mistakes and get it all wrong, then we all, you know, and they fail, then everybody loses. The other thing is that the the big Australian banks, because they're part of a bigger group, they can call on their parent company for expertise um, and the staff have more opportunities to develop um, and to experience more, and so that provides some advantages for the New Zealand um, banking sector as well. Kiwi Bank, could the government do more in terms of giving it more heft so that it is truly competitive with the big four Australians? Okay, so this is a a kind of a spectrum question. If you're an out-and-out capitalist, you would say that the New Zealand government actually probably shouldn't have a bank. Um, If you are an out-and-out person with a more socialist view of life, you would say that's a fine opportunity for that 
bank to look after people who need looking after and not make as much money as the others and, and drive the competition. The government has done a lot. They've put a lot of capital in, initially through New Zealand Post, then themselves as well, then through ACC and the Super Fund, and now back to the government. I think what I'd probably say is the fact that the, the government has taken over uh, majority ownership now shows that they actually have some faith in, the, in, in Kiwi Bank and the things that they're doing. It, what, what would it take to get them to the level of the um, Australian banks? A, a, an awful lot of money. Wow. There'd be one really quick way. That's if one of the Australian banks wanted to exit New Zealand for some reason and Kiwi Bank was the ultimate successful purchaser, whether in its entirety as Kiwi Bank buying that New Zealand sub or doing some sort of partial listing. So, so Kiwi Bank owned half, i.e. the government and the public owned half. What would that cost? Billions it, it, billions? it would be in the billions, yes, yeah. yes it would be. Do we unfairly target these Australian banks? Should we be more grateful that they're here? I think we do unfairly target them, and I think we forget that they've mostly been here forever. If you look at the BNZ, ANZ and Westpac, their origins date back to the mid-1800s. So they've been in New Zealand forever. They are effectively New Zealand. It's just that in terms of their ownership, it doesn't mean that when they make profits, they do those profits do tend to leave New Zealand, and that's where the problem comes. There's no way around that, though, is there? I don't, I don't think there is. We saw it to an extent when um, the National Bank went on the market because Lloyds decided they no longer wanted to operate in the New Zealand market. It, t- it wasn't that easy for them to find a buyer. So if, for example, National Australia Bank decided that they no longer wanted to provide banking services in New Zealand and therefore uh, didn't want to have a uh, subsidiary operating in New Zealand and therefore wanted to sell off the BNZ business. You know, who's going to buy it? It may be that rather than being Australian, it might be owned by somebody else. And at least with the Australian banks, they're our cousins. <laughs> we like to bash them because they're Aussies and we, we align them with the, the Wallabies or the Kangaroos, the rugby league, the Kiwi teams, the, 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 the netball teams, and we hate to lose to them. But there's one thing that is important. They have a real understanding of New Zealand. They've been here for years. So take... Now, industries that might be affected by seasonality. One that comes to mind really is forestry, where during the winter it's very wet and it's hard for those forestry gangs to get as much timber out because it's wet, it's boggy, they can't do it. The banks are really good at recognising that and saying, hey, for those two or three months you can go interest only. And then when you actually do get the crop, you can do a bulk repayment to catch up. You'd have to say that a foreign bank coming in from overseas who had bought one of these New Zealand, large New Zealand banks, would probably have paid a lot of money and would be very focused on returns and might not have the same understanding of the customer base. You'd hope they would, but they might not. And th- these banks have got people that have uh, uh, intergenerationally liaised with and understood industries and understood the people in the industry. So there's a big sort of history and goodwill factor there that, that I think sometimes we overlook. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is public interest journalism funded through NZ On Air and produced by Newsroom 4RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by William Saunders and produced by Sarah Robson and Bonnie Harrison. And thanks to John Kensington and Claire Matthews. Kakite anō. Ka